0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on
1: the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. The uh, Stanley Cup playoffs continue. Uh, a pair of games last night, four games this evening. Kicks off with the Hurricanes and the Islanders, the Bruins and the Panthers, the Stars and the Wild, the Avalanche and the Kraken. Uh, Hurricanes lead their series 3 uh, 2. Ditto Bruins, Ditto Stars, Ditto Checks Notes, Seattle? It's true. And could eliminate the defending Stanley Cup champions later today. Uh, okay, um, back on the Winnipeg Jets page, so they're the first one to get the gloves, the hands out of the gloves for the handshakes. The Vegas Golden Knights move on; they'll face off against the winners of the L.A. Edmonton series. That could end. Uh, as early as saturday um but that's not the headline the headline is the rick bonus press conference yesterday uh disappointed i oh, hated it when dad said that uh and disgusted uh, as well were a couple of the quotes uh coming out of head coach rick bonus's mouth last night after the loss against the vegas golden knights uh, my good friend ken weave joins me now from sportsnet.ca who's you know been documenting every step of the winnipeg jets for a long time and let me just get you. I'm not going to try to bias you or prejudice you at all with some flowery intro to this question. I just want to know what you thought about Rick Bonus last night and what he had to say in the somewhere around 60 second mark, uh, <laughs> the, the 60 seconds that he used yesterday. What did you think about Bonus?
2: Uh, it was, you know, uh, Rick's a passionate guy and an emotional guy. We've seen that side plenty, but this was the harshest and most direct. Um, shot at the bow towards that leadership group that has emerged after the people we've been talking about and it was one of the most stern comments since Jim Mora's playoffs Uh, we were you know it it was surprising honestly by the time I looked over my shoulder to grab the microphone from Jeff Hamilton Rick was walking off the podium it was like an exit stage left situation (laughs) and we knew he was hot when he got to the podium but it was one of those things where he was yeah. so angry that he was smiling. And I, I don't think the people that read the quotes or saw the transcripts got the full feel. You needed to watch the video. Like it's only a sixty second oh, yeah. investment. But it was not just what he said, but the way he said it. And I mean, there is also an element that it wasn't just a shot at the leadership core. It was it was it was sending up the flagpole to the Ivory Tower that you know this is a good group that has some pieces but you're not going to win with this group unless you make the necessary changes. Rick's talked all year, Jeff, about some of those bad habits that have crept into their game. And those bad habits were on display yesterday. Uh, You know, sleepy starts to the first and second puck management issues. And the fact that, I mean, you asked for a turn this year, man, Rick laid it out there. This, this team, the most surprising thing about this whole development and the unraveling Jeff, these guys were first place in the Western conference in January, not in October. So Uh, the fact that they played such a long stretch, and yeah, of course they had injuries. Well, so did Vegas. They ran five goalies deep. Yesterday, their second pairing was unavailable. Plug-and-play Ben Hutton and uh, Braden Pachel, no problem. They didn't miss a beat, so uh, the Jets battled through a lot of stuff, uh, Jeff, but uh, ultimately, this is a group that, they you know, they ran it back a bunch of times. They thought coaching could solve the problem, and, you know, Rick did a great job in terms of helping with the structure, but ultimately, there was, I wouldn't say it was a revolt against the system, but I think there was there is a certain level of stubbornness to how the jets wanna play, and in the series they they couldn't get to the middle of the ice they you know they they spent too much time on the perimeter and and they got they got outplayed their you know their stars got outplayed significantly um you know Connor Heibuck has been the backbone for a long time, but at the very least briois played even if not outplayed him and the jets supposed advantage was between the pipes, and that did not transpire so you know, Adam Lowry had a great series. I thought he showed great leadership. He's a candidate to be the next captain along with Josh Morrissey. But they just didn't, they had too many guys who didn't show up in the biggest moments. And I think, as you mentioned, like the off season of change, my lead is it's time to break up the band. Like there's good pieces but they need to go in a different direction. And I don't think that direction is a rebuild.
1: That, okay, so if, if the direction isn't a rebuild, then I wonder if Connor Hellebuck stays. Pause on that conversation for one second, because I want to I want to pull something out of that last answer, and that is, perhaps that outburst from Rick Bonus wasn't just directed at the players, and was that directed upstairs as well? Um, we all know that around trade deadline time, any team that has a shot at doing anything in the playoffs, you know, the coach has a wish list. Um, and sometimes the coach will approach the general manager and say, This is what we need and this is what I want. Sometimes there'll be an agreement that, okay, this is what I'm going to try to do. This is what I'm going to try to get to, to help you. You've identified these areas and we're going to do our best to, to, to try to bring in what you need. Um, do you think part of what we saw last night was a frustration that, you know, outside of, you know, bringing in Nino, you know, need a rider? Um, you know, I remember trade deadline. We we're all, jeez. I mean, I, I can't remember how many phone calls and texts that I sent trying to figure out if, if Logan Stanley was going to Washington. Um, you know, do you think that that was bonus, just letting off steam? And part of the frustration was, and all coaches have it. I you don't want to be petulant about it, but that was him letting off steam because he didn't want, or he didn't get what he wanted at trade deadline. Yeah.
2: I'm just yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the mess, Nickoff, uh, Jeff, to that equation. Now, those two guys yes, did help yes. transform the 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 makeup and you know construction of the forward group. Two guys that went to the you know, front of the net, play in the hard areas. So I think those were a good start. But you know, the loss of Josh Morrissey was devastating. Partly because the Jets didn't gloat and get a number two defenseman. Now I understand it's hard to do. Uh, but the whole debate over how much of your future are you willing to sacrifice? And to me, it goes deeper. And you're right, you touched on it with Stanley. It's the same for Billy Hainelot. I mean, they've got a bunch of... Uh, the mm-hmm. construction of their back end needs to change. They have too much of the same. Like, outside of Brendan Dillon and Dylan Sandberg, to a degree, who's growing into a more physical type of player, it's mostly undersized puck movers. And, you know, Vegas is a great example. Shea Theodore is the smallest guy on their, in the normal top six. At, oh, yeah. checks notes. Six to one ninety seven and is one of the fastest skaters in the NHL so uh, I, I think that that was partly directed towards the upstairs and to management and now now the big question is you know is is the tr- what what does the truth serum lead to does it lead to Rick bonus not being back with the jets I also you know I, I wonder about Rick's health on that front also Jeff but uh, if they're not in agreement it, it seem I'm not saying they can't coexist but when you take that strong of a tact isn't it almost a it's it's a me or him situation i mean it's sort of it, yeah. it's not you know, it's not a big stretch to, to connect the dots on that one so i'll be very curious it was already going to be a fascinating off season and uh, i think it just got even more fascinating with with rick's revelation at the podium and you know i wonder how mark chipman reacts or what his reaction was to it because you know mark is a guy who's very passionate And emotional as well so by the time the dust settles after the and how uncomfortable did some of those exit interviews become Jeff because you know some of the (laughs) the player the player even if the players didn't like it they know who the shots were directed at so I think there's you know big time changes you know you talked about before guys I wrote about them uh it's a possibility all four of them are gone and uh, do I think the Jets will try to sign Hellebuck yes but this was another example, Jeff. They ran him into the ground. I mean, 69 starts. He had he had nothing left. I mean, he tried. He gave everything that he yeah. had. But there's no way you can say Connor Hellebuck was sharp. And Jeff, two day break between games, it made no difference in Game Five because the tank is empty for him. They need to get a guy that could start more games. And you know, David Riddick was was pretty good for you know three quarters of the year. But then when the Jets needed him, they had to hang on Hellebuck for 13 starts in a row. And although he said all the right things and said he loved the workload, I don't think you can argue and say, well, Hellebuck was fresh. He, he was not fresh. There's no way to argue that he was fresh. His, his best game was the, yeah. the game 81, you know, the 40-plus save effort against Minnesota to get them in. And after that, there was no Superman cape to be found. And that's not to blame Hellebuck because he didn't get any help. But, you know, he needed to be the best goalie in the series, and he was the second-best goalie. Yeah.
1: You see, I I look at Hellebuck and I say that's the first decision. And really, it's not even with the Winnipeg Jets' decision as much as it is Connor Hellebuck's decision. I think the... Let me know if you think I'm right or wrong about this one. This is a conversation with Connor Hellebuck where uh, the general manager lays out what the plan is. And here's what we're doing. Now, one, I think Connor Hellebuck um, is in line for and is expecting a massive payday for this next contract. And two... I think he'll hang around as long as the team is competitive. Otherwise, I think he'll play out the year and test free agency if they don't you know, move him, move him before that. But I think that Hellebuck wants two things. Wants to be competitive, like wants to plant a competitive team, and two, wants to be either one of or the highest paid netminders in the NHL. Agree or disagree? Yeah, couldn't,
2: couldn't agree more. Uh, and I wonder what the number is. Like, and if you're the Jets, what, what, what number are you comfortable at for how long? Uh, given where things are at. But I honestly think the biggest thing, you know, money's obviously a huge, huge deal. Uh, these guys are proud guys, but, you know, Connor's repeatedly said he wants to win the Stanley Cup. So if he doesn't see a pass do that in Winnipeg, I don't think he spends his prime years uh, committed to a team that is in a rebuild or a retool or, or whatever else. Uh, and yeah, if, if that is the case and that conversation transpires, I think that Connor elbuck is the, you know, uh, those are, there's several important chips, but he's probably the, the, the most enticing one. And, you know, our pal Sean Reynolds has said it could be the, the biggest garage sale uh, in NHL history when it comes to <laughs> star star type of players. So, I mean, Hellebuck, they've got to get sorted out. We know that Dubois, uh, you know, is unlikely to return. Mark Scheifele, I think, is probably going to be on the move as well. But now it comes down to the return. You know, is it a Jacob Trouba return? Can you get more? Can you get more current Rather than futures, uh, you know, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. I mean, we talked about Mark Scheifele, maybe kind of in that underpaid category, but you know, six million dollars is so hard number for some contenders to get under the books, and uh, never mind an extension in a flat cap world. So, but you know, can someone who scored 42 goals help a help a contending team? Absolutely, it can. Uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to get paid, but you know. Are we? You know, I know. I know one of your favorite subjects is offer sheets. Uh, are the Canadians going to box car the Jets <laughs> in with a with an offer sheet? Uh, can the Jets move them somewhere else? Is it Montreal or bust? I mean, the questions are kind of endless here. And and then the other part too, you know, we have to talk about Blake Wheeler. I mean, this is this is a former captain. He's yeah. been there since. He's a day. He's he is the last day wonner and he has one year left. And I have a hard time believing. Blake is going to come back to be a third-line player. I mean, he was a 50-plus-point player this year at 36. That's an incredible accomplishment. He had a strong series. But I, I just think that I have a hard time believing that, that Blake will be back. But, you know, I could, be, I could be surprised and, you know, we'll see what happens. But at 8.25, that's not an easy contract to move. We know the two sides talked about moving on from each other last summer. Jets didn't want to take or hold back money. Does that change on it now that it's a one-year deal? I mean, I I don't think a buyout is an option there. I just don't think that makes sense. But, I mean, Blake Wheeler doesn't want to be anything other than a top six player on the team, I don't think. He wants to win, too. Um, You know, some of the criticism will probably be pointed in his direction, too. I mean, you know, he had still an important year. He still has an important voice. But if you were ready to consider moving on last summer... And you have another first-round exit. Blake has talked about wanting to win so badly, also. So he's not going to want to. You know, if, sure. if you're going to talk six minutes on a rebuild, that that doesn't make sense for a 37-year-old former captain. So, man, they they've got a lot of, and there too, Jeff. I mean, what if some of those plus were directed out, out of, on people who aren't on expiring contracts, i.e., Kyle Connor. Yeah, then I mean, what do you do? Kyle had Kyle had three goals yeah. in the series, but. He did not play a prominent role in the series, in my opinion. I mean, this is one of the best pure snipers in the league. He went from 47 to 31. Now, guys, his off year is better than most, but it still was a down year for him at a time where, you know, people like myself, he could be a 50-plus guy in the Rocket conversation. So is that just a one-off on a bad year? To me, he just didn't have the same explosiveness with his legs, uh, Jeff, and and that's his biggest strength outside of his, you know, sniping ability.
1: No, no doubt. Tons of questions here. We're heavy on time, Kenny. Ed, that was so good. Um, great analysis, great insight. Appreciate you for it. Um, we'll catch. We'll, uh, we'll listen. This isn't the last time we're going to talk. Winnipeg is one of the <laughs> most fascinating teams to watch here. Thanks, bud. You have a good rest of your day.
2: Yes, always a pleasure. And uh, enjoy Game Six. And how about John Cooper uh, for the honesty? You guys didn't want the series to end yet, did you? Come on, let's come back for Game Seven. <laughs> I think.
1: Thank everybody in Toronto did, but good on John Cooper for saying that. Thanks, Kenny.
2: Have a great Ken day. Week and have week. A, yeah,
1: great week. from Sportsnet.ca, co-host of the uh, the Kenny and Ready show. Gotta hit a break. Uh, back with hour two. Ryan Novazinski. We're talking Devils in a moment.
0: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Alish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Saturday is always about Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Tomorrow, no different. Uh, The action getting underway, 6.30 Eastern with Hockey Central. Uh, Ron McLean, your host, is always for that one. Then, 7 o'clock Eastern, Game 6, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, at 8 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 360. It will be the Rangers and the Devils. We'll talk about the Devils here in a second. And then the late game, the Oilers facing off against the Los Angeles Kings, Edmonton. Looks to close out, uh, that one on Sportsnet and CBC as well. Tonight, uh, four games on the go around the NHL. Hurricanes and Islanders get underway at 7 o'clock Eastern on 360. Uh, the Bruins and Panthers at 7.30. I'm loving the staggers. Sports in Ontario, West, Eastern Pacific. The Stars and the Wild Dallas uh, looks to close out at the XL Energy Centre. 9.30 Eastern, Sportsnet 360. And the Kraken... I can't wait for this game. The Kraken look to close out the Colorado Avalanche. 10 o'clock Eastern Sports in Ontario, West, East, and Pacific. So, plenty of hockey for your eyeballs as the um, as the first round, which is always the most exciting, starts to wind down here. And the New Jersey Devils uh, looking to wind down the New York Rangers and did a lot of good work for themselves last night. They've won three in a row against the New York Rangers and Momentum. If you believe in Momentum... During the playoffs, or if you look at all the games, just standalone, standalone. But if you believe in momentum from game to game, then you're looking at the New Jersey Devils and you're saying, okay, so who are they facing next round? Ryan Novazinski is a Devils reporter for NJ.com. He joins me now, no stranger to this broadcast. Ryan, how are you, pal?
3: Jeff, I'm good. Uh, the state of New Jersey is feeling good. Um, and Eric Halla and
1: Akira Smith <laughs> are feeling good. I was going to say, now, Eric Halla, by the way, who I'm sure you know, has the best nickname uh, in the entire NHL, and he's not shy about mentioning it, a uh, Hall of Fama, uh, which is a wonderful <laughs> nickname. A uh, pair of goals last night, although I thought the Dawson Mercer shorty was gorgeous. Um, the Andre Palat goal, he becomes the second Czech-born hockey player to score 50 playoff goal some guy by the name of Yager who I think wore number 68 once upon a time for a couple of teams uh, is the uh, the other 50 goal scorer in the playoffs amongst Czech players like so so here's here's the question because I'm watching this game last night and I'm saying you know the New Jersey Devils have now gone from the team that just was happy to be there and just getting in some playing time they went from that team to being a team that's like no way man now we're in the process of rolling the New York Rangers and creating, you know, confusion and self-doubt up and down the lineup on the on the bench and the coaching staff, the general manager's office, all of this. And the obvious question is how? How have the New Jersey Devils been able to completely flip the script? I mean, they got curb stomped the first two games. But since then, the momentum has been building in games three, four, and five. How did they do it, Ryan? Jeff, this sounds like a conversation that you and I could have had at the
3: beginning at the beginning of the season too. There's shades of that. There's um, shades of nostalgia here, Good point, yeah. um, and, and uh, deja vu. I, I would say for for Lindy Ruff and company. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the the only difference between this and the beginning two regular season games is that. The Devils at least looked pretty decent in the first two regular season games, um, albeit, you know, the score line mm-hmm. uh being what it was. I think the the beginning of this series was awful. The Devils were trying to, you know, be a little bit more physical than um their their natural brand of hockey that that kind of brought them that fifty two uh wins this season, a franchise record. Um and then they found it. And then they were able to, you know, incorporate that speed and incorporate that, um, you know, strong. The, the defense looks like it's it's at its peak uh, right now. It's peaking right now. Um, guys like John Marino yeah. are able to shut down uh, some of the Rangers' best players. And you know, look like if you have guys like Sabanajak, guys like Fanarin that that are really struggling. I mean, really, really struggling. Then um, yeah. it's just a perfect storm brewing. And and it's not just that they're struggling; it's the fact that New Jersey is able to counter them, right? Um, like I said, with, with blue liners like John Marino, like uh like like even Dougie, like Jonas Siegenthaler who was scratched in game two. Um just an incredible poise from this team that, to go down early, um and really blast back. And I think it's no coincidence either that you're starting to see veterans like Halla, uh Hall of Famer, um and Andre Palat uh really step up <laughs> at, at at the right time.
1: Uh, uh, mixed in with the rookie too, Akira Schmidt. Well, and and you know, I mean, that is like the the big emerging story out of all of this. Like the New Jersey Devils have, you know, discovered a a, a new number one going into this. I'm, I am curious. Okay, so give us some perspective here. Going into this season, because right now Akira Schmidt is the guy. Like he's the goalie. Period. Um, he's their their new number one. Going into this season, what was the expectation for this guy? Because he's, you know, he's bounced around. I mean, just, I was just, you know, f- following him going going through the various leagues that he went through. It seemed like a cozy five minutes ago. He was having double hip surgery, which for a lot of goaltenders, whether you're young or old, Um, is something that you never want to go through because who knows what your mobility is going to be like coming out of it. I mean, you're Tyler Sagan, you have double hip surgery, that's one thing. If you're a goaltender, it means something completely different, or it can. Um, What was the expectation for for Akira Schmid coming into this season? I, I actually asked
3: about, about uh, this to Lindy the other day, just sort of what what went into calling Sh, uh, Schmidt up over a guy like Nico Dawes, who last year posted 10 wins and, you yeah. know, seven goalies for the Devils last year was was their best goalie. <laughs> so, which is, you know, incredible to think about. The young uh, German goalie who's, who's also, you know, similar age, if not the same age as, as uh, Schmidt there. It was a shock whenever Mackenzie Blackwood went down with injury in October and um, the Devils brought uh, Schmidt up uh, over, over Dawes. Um, but then you, you throw him in there and he has a, a incredible, incredible start again, or not start um, goes in for relief for Vanichek, who was injured at the end of a, an Ottawa Senators game in October. And then they're like, okay, like, you know, we'll see what what, what we can do here. And then he goes out and he does you know po- post similar numbers against the, uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Then, uh, later on um, in, a, in a different injury uh, recall he fills in and, and uh, shuts out the the Philadelphia Flyers um, he did really well against the Senators two times this year um, and as you know the Senators with, with their with their big bodies they can uh, pile on uh, some high danger chances so I think you saw that that poise that that ineffable poise you can't even describe it um, a lot of times this season so that's why you'll see like, like um, the, the, the national uh, kind of casual audience that doesn't really watch the Devils that much. They might think of this as an emergence in the playoffs. This has been happening all season long. Um, there were so many people, so many fans that, that were clamoring, you know, get this guy, make him the, the one B goaltender behind Vanecek, uh, Cause they wanted, you know, so to speak, the, the Blackwood experiment to be over um, because that's yeah. the kind of poise that this guy had. And, like you mentioned, you know, the injuries with, with Schmidt in the past, I mean, you know, for him to uh, rise through that and, and really just show that, again, that poise, that calmness. I talked to him the other day. He's a big basketball fan. He's uh, is one of his favorite uh, players growing up was, uh, was Kobe Bryant. And I think you're seeing a little mama mentality in the playoffs here. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is. It's, it's incredible. It really is incredible.
1: You know, one name on that blue line I want to get to. I want to ask. Actually, I want to ask you about Dawson Mercer here in a second. But let me um, let me uh, let me mine your brain here for for thoughts on someone that I watched a ton uh, in junior hockey playing with the Ottawa Sixty Sevens, and that's Kevin Ball. You know, big, strong, punishing body checker. Uh, was part of the Taylor Hall trade, um, New Jersey to Arizona. Um, when we talk about the blue line for the New Jersey Devils, usually we start by talking about Dougie Hamilton. You mentioned John Marino uh, a couple of seconds ago. Siegenthaler is a, is a, a real good find uh, for them, and they've done a, a, a great uh, bundle of work around him. Uh, Damon Severson, we'll see what happens by the, the end of the season here. But what do you think people should know about Kevin Ball? And, like, it, it's not exactly a secret that amongst New Jersey Devils fans... Two of their favorite defenders are Scott Stevens and Ken Danico. So I just wonder, you know, how long New Jersey Devils fans have been, you know, waiting to see another Punisher on the blue line. What do you think people should know about this six foot six, 220 pound behemoth on the back end?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, like you mentioned there, the they, the Devils fans, uh, amidst their dynasty, they they wanted that that brew they they love they loved all those bruises on the blue line, um, and now they got a guy who's yeah. 24 years old in in Kevin Ball to go out there and do a similar thing. I mean, this is a guy that I think at the beginning of the season, the reason he would get healthy scratch so much was. He didn't really grow into that that frame quite on the NHL level yet. Um, you saw this with other, with other defensemen too, with the Devils uh, Nikita Ohtoek too, uh, who was sent in the in the Timo Meyer trade. I feel like they called yep. up some of these um, you know big kind of uh, body type of, of uh, blue liners, but they didn't really have the confidence quite yet to uh, use that physicality. But then Ball steps in, and and I, I can't remember exactly what game was his coming out party so to speak, but. I mean, he gets out there one game it was probably like 2 months ago or a month and a half ago and he just starts rolling and and Lindy's loving it, the team is loving it. Um
1: yeah.
3: Severson uh you mentioned Severson, Severson talks about, you know, how much uh Kevin Ball is a, is a big question after too. Um and you know, I, I think that is kind of s- some of this veteran uh presence in that in that uh blue line corps is, is is really uh resonating with him and and it's making him confident. I mean, he's not afraid to drop the gloves, drops the gloves last night. Um and and yeah. i mean there was one game where he's just manhandling two rangers on the boards um it's 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 an impressive rise i mean i i think a lot of people look at rightfully so guys like uh uh shimon nemitz and and luke hughes as as some of the uh you know future yeah. of, of this blue line here but he, a lot of people forgot that i mean kevin pulse 24 four two. i mean he's going to be a huge part of that so I mean, that that's another um, an, another notch on the Devils' uh, future resume, if you will.
1: Okay, let me get to Dawson Mercer. Uh, I love him. Uh have loved him for years. I'm not going to be the guy that brings up every junior hockey team, trust me. But I love them in junior. Um, is he, for you, a center or a winger? And is he, for Lindy Ruff, a center or a winger? <laughs> you know, that, that's... Uh, when you talk
3: about picking between your children, I think uh, I think that that's that's the <laughs> kind of decision that, that it would be for Lindy Ruff here. I mean, I don't think he's really w- willing to uh, to stake a claim there. I think that versatility is is kind of what makes him uh, so good there. I, I, I kind of like him in in the center role. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you um, because I think mm-hmm. Dawson Mercer. You kind of look at him in the locker room, and you're you're not really expecting him to be a big. Uh, bruising kind of guy and and that's not to say he is but he's a strong physical net front kind of guy that that uh can really thrive in in that kind of role. So I I think the Devils need some size down there uh in the middle. Um and I would like that if if you can, you know, roll that out going forward and and hey it, it worked last night. I mean, you you him on on the uh the center there with uh with Timo and it really it rolls, so I, I I don't mind it at all. I I like him as a center, um, but I, in terms, I'm not the decision maker there, there with the Devils. So I think Lindy Ruff is just going to kind of keep uh, rolling him, and and it's going to be a surprise uh, <laughs> game by game.
1: We will uh, we will stand by. Um, speaking of forwards, Jack Hughes, give it give us a sense because you're there, we're not. Give us a sense of where jack hughes exists amongst new jersey devils fans you know nico Heesher is the captain um schmidt is the the player that's captured everybody's imagination but you know the emerging superstar here is jack hughes where does he fit in uh you know a, amongst new jersey devils fans right now
3: jack hughes is, is the face of the franchise um you look at even the most casual hockey viewers um and by casual, I mean, hey, it might be on a on a, on a bar uh, on at a bar uh, here in in Jersey. They know who Jack Hughes is. Uh, I've had so many conversations because I mean, this is my first year in, in the in the role covering this team, um, and so many people that I was like, oh, oh, you like hockey? Uh, <laughs> I didn't really realize it. They're like, oh, like Jack Hughes must be amazing, and I was like, yeah, he's he's incredible. I mean, just watch him, watch him with the puck uh, when he enters a zone, it is it is a thing of beauty. Um his speed, his um I was talking to uh to, to Michigan's hockey coach and, and he said that, that Jim Hughes should um should should start a, a school or or sorry, write a book about uh about skating and teaching skating skills because all the Hughes brothers have that and, and Jack uh in particular has just a, a next level ability with, with his skating and um for, to see him rise in the playoffs too, I think that was a big question to see how he would kind of respond to the noise there. He's done it, and, and um, I mean, it's good to see, and I, I'm sure the confidence is definitely uh, rolling high there with, with Jack.
1: Um, on the other end of the rink, the New York Rangers here, like I, I think a lot of us are sort of scrambling to try to find answers. Like, you know, Mika Zibanejad is one of the best centers in the NHL, full stop. Artemi Panarin is one of the best wingers in the, and one of the most creative players in the entire NHL, full stop. Um, neither of them, neither of them can do anything right now. Um, and it seems as if, as a matter of fact, you know, the entire New York Rangers team is frozen. And when I look back on what we saw last night, to me, the enduring image is Igor Shesterkin making a save and then skating to the bench to yell at his team. Like, come on, like, I'm in here. I'm in, I'm in the fight. I'm in the game. We need to have everybody on the bench here, everybody on the ice um, in the game as, as much as I am. What has happened here? I know you're primarily focusing on the New Jersey Devils' side of the rink, but do you have a thought on what's happening with the Rangers?
3: I think the Devils have the first two games. They allowed the, the Rangers to to really skate all over them, and, and you weren't seeing that that um, that signature speed that we've you know grown so accustomed to with this New Jersey team. The Devils took that away, and they're taking it away before the Rangers even get in their offensive zone. They're taking it away in the neutral zone, um, and it's something of it's it's something that you know. I, I think it's just a thing of the Rangers are not getting set up. The Devils penalty kill is stepping up. Um, the Rangers have not scored a power play goal in, in 13 attempts. I mean that's bad, um, I, especially when in the first two games you get four Chris Kreider uh, power play goals um yeah. off of you know easy tip in front of the net i think it's just a, it, it must be a confidence thing it must be a, a spiraling thing um gallant rips them in, in uh after game I, I guess it was game four and then last night says he, he loves their effort um thought that was kind of a fascinating uh little tidbit there but I, that's probably just a, you got to keep them confident right um because this team right now they're slipping and you know you see like like there will be prime opportunities for uh, up in there and for Zibanejad in front of the net, and it'll just go wide or, or, or anything like that, or a John Marino will step in and, yeah. and completely take it away. Uh, I think he had a huge block on, on Zibanejad on the power play last night. Um, it's it's bad, and, and this, this Rangers team is is slipping at the, at the uh, wrong time, and of course, they've done it before, yeah. they've shown resurgence before, but... I mean, right now you just you can't really feel confident about uh, your team that, that you're uh, putting on the ice if you're if you're Gerard
0: Gallant.
1: You know that 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 is interesting about the uh, the, the the Gallant comment because you know after Game Four, uh, you're right. He just savaged the team, and I think that's one of those scenarios, Ryan, where you can only go to that well once. You can't keep going back to it, or it completely loses all of its effectiveness. And maybe when you consider what happened in Game Five it wasn't effective at all um, after game four. Um, okay, I want to big picture something here with you as we, we wrap up and listen, I know you're busy, I, I appreciate your time. Um, so today, Bruce of the Ottawa Sun, uh, has a piece out about how the Remington Group, now this is the one which is, you know, the Braddy family, real estate developers and Ryan Reynolds um, are part of uh, the Remington Group trying to buy the Ottawa Senators and they are preparing a $1 billion bid for the team and the rink. 1B. That is an enormous number for the Ottawa Senators. I have to imagine that when that number gets out there, that gets a lot of other teams' attention. Uh, I think that means a lot for, you know, what the next round of expansion is going to cost whenever that happens. And I think that... There are probably some other teams out there that either if they're on the fence or even had a thought about selling their team, because, you know, let's face it, sports is an equity play, um, that when you see one B for Ottawa, maybe you start to say, eh, maybe we we could be for sale also. Would you count the New Jersey Devils as one of those teams that might look at the Ottawa centres and say, Man, if that's a billion dollars, uh, maybe we should see what's out there for us. Or is it a non-starter for the New Jersey New Jersey Devils ownership?
3: The sense that I get right now, and the Devils ownership, especially Josh Harris, has been <laughs> all over the place uh, lately. Of course, with the uh, Washington Commanders deal, um, the yep. sense that I get is that they're they're still fully committed to this team. Uh, Josh Harris and David Blitzer. David Blitzer it was in the locker room last night um, uh, both of them were in the locker room after uh game game four at, at msg um they're really they're connected with this team they 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 are you know very ecstatic about what's going on with uh, this team and and quite frankly, a lot of their teams too uh, the the philadelphia seventy six are also doing well um, yep. but from what I understand, even the washington commander's purchase has no bearings on on what uh, Josh Harris's plans are with this ownership group. That's not going to mean he's going to take a step back. Of course, he's going to be more busy. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's at most games, if not every game. I think this team is – I think they're committed to this team. Um, Of course, just a little bit of speculation there. But from what I understand, that that the commander's purchase does not have any bearings on it. Um, And I I think that, you know – they're they're pretty meshed well with this team, and they, they, they are very satisfied with the uh, with the rise of their seeing.
1: Okay, finish off with this one. Um, and you mentioned Lindy Ruff to, to kick off the uh, the discussion here today, and that was a very awkward couple of first games uh, for Lindy with uh, with the chance at Prudential Center, et cetera. Um, but then there was a the winning streak, and everyone was apologizing, and it was Kumbaya, and everyone loved Lindy again. How do you look at Lindy Ruff's season, and, and what do you see as next for Lindy Ruff with the New Jersey Devils?
3: I think that you have to look at the complete body of this turnaround. You have to look at the fact that in an eighty two game season, this is the biggest uh point differential or sorry, point rise in NHL history <laughs> uh in the eighty two game era. Um of course the San Jose Sharks have something to say about that, but anyways, um yep. I and I think that you have to look at the, the franchise record. You have to look at the fifty two wins, the hundred twelve points, franchise records. And you have to say this team is resonating with Lindy. Um, despite all of his line changes, despite how many times he likes to switch things up, which the fans can't stand, um, I think after game one, game one and two, everybody was kind of back on the fire Lindy train. But I think right now, as it stands, I would say that Lindy Ruff is safe, um, especially if he advances. Um, he has an expiring contract, yeah. and they of course have, have two, two, two really good coaches, three really good coaches as their assistants. Um, and Andrew Burnett and, and uh, Ryan McGill and, and Sergey Breland, but I mean, y- y- I, I think you got to give the nod to Lindy. I think Jack really likes him. I think Nico really likes him, and I think you know some of the young stars are, are really resonating with um, with his you know sort of running gun attack. There, um, I I think the system has worked this year. Took a couple games to adjust, of course. Took a couple games to adjust in the playoffs, but it's meshing well. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know you got if 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 I'm, if I'm Tom Fitzgerald. I I would I would extend him. I would. Um at least give him another shot at this 'cause mm. just because of what he did this year.
1: Don't disagree. I think everything lines up, uh, even though it was awkward those first couple of games. I think everyone uh, everything is lining up great here. Uh, for a Lindy Ruff extension, we'll see if they can close out against the Rangers on Saturday. Uh, Ryan, that was a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Your analysis is great, really thorough. Um, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Have a great weekend. Eyes on Saturday. Game 6, we'll, we'll see if the, uh, the New Jersey Devils can close this thing out and then send the Big Apple into absolute Chaos. Thanks so much for this, Ryan.
3: Absolutely, Jeff. At least the uh, at least New York has the Knicks, right?
1: <laughs> That's an excellent point. That's kind of historic what's <laughs> happening to the Knicks right now. Uh, Ryan Nowaczynski, Devils reporter for NJ.com, joining me. The Devils shutting out the New York Rangers uh, last night, and Akira Schmid with a twenty-three save shutout, and he is you know the emerging star netminder for the New Jersey Devils here. I-, I know it's kind of a, and it has been historically. And we all think of players like, I don't know, well, I mean, Ken Dryden was one and he went on to a Hall of Fame career. But, you know, we think of Steve Penny and Blaine Locker and Jim Carrey, et cetera. Like, uh, the NHL history is sort of littered with goaltenders that show up at these key times. Andrew Hammond, there's, there's another one, and lead their team uh, to some glory here. But, you know, there's a belief that, like, this guy is the real deal um, and long-term this is the future in net for the New Jersey Devils. Uh, And if so, then that program is in a fantastic spot. Two goals last night for Eric Halla, Hall of Famer, love the name. Uh, Andre Palat with a goal as well. I mentioned earlier with Elliott. With that goal, he now has 50 playoff goals. um, And the only other 50-goal scorer in the postseason from Czech Republic is Jaromir Jager. That is a really nice bit of company to be... and, And by the way, the thing about Palat is... I know when he was in Tampa, he didn't get a lot of headlines. But when you talk to any of the players, and this is how you know, right? When you talk to any of the players, they would all bring him up constantly. I've looked at Andre Palat for a lot of years and said he's kind of like a mini Marian Hosa, Does a lot of similar things, defensively responsible, uh, he's the winger. Can gobble up any pass. You know what's the old saying? You can't give a great player a bad pass. He'll take anything. Palat's kind of that guy. Like the the players know. Like the the one thing that I've learned in this industry um, since I've been involved in it is that you can't lie to players. And players know who belongs and who doesn't belong. Players know who are who's really good uh, and who's not really good. Who's you know who's who's legit and who's faking the funk. And you talk to any of those Tampa players, or you talk to anyone who's played against Andre Palat, and they'll they'll tell you like this guy is super legit. This guy is real good. The players just know. You cannot lie to hockey players. They know who belongs. They know who is good. And I thought that in the, in the off for the New Jersey Devils, that was one of the best the best deals. Um, that any team made was bringing aboard Andre Palat as this team was ready to take the next step. So he scores Dawson Mercer with a beautiful shorthanded goal, and all of a sudden, question marks about the New York Rangers and maybe about the you know the only player that I can look at on this Rangers squad right now and say he's lived up to it. He's done his job is Igor Shosturkin. And yes, there were the Igor chants yesterday at the Prudential Centre. We all heard those. Um, And to me, again, like the enduring visual is going to be Igor Shosturkin making that glove save and the whistle goes off and he charges to his bench. Did you see this last night? He charges out to his bench to yell at his team. That is a very engaged and maybe very frustrated Igor Shosturkin who's watching this thing slip away. And as he continues to make save after save, and you can't, like like the whole thing got underway with that first goal last night, the Palat goal. Um, That's completely not his fault. I mean, that's just like, to be blunt fluke goal i guess <laughs> like it's just a flu- it's just a, a fluke tip goal um he's doing his part to try to get keep this team uh keep this team in it and in the series and you know trying to get on the winning ledger here but momentum is all on new jersey and what it looks like right now just to be blunt new jersey just looks too fast and i think a lot of that is the uh, the new york rangers have allowed The New Jersey Devils to exploit their speed and use their speed. You know, in the first hour, we were talking to Elliot about how, you know, the difference between the way that the Tampa Bay Lightning want to play and the way the Toronto Maple Leafs want to play is the Maple Leafs want to put the accent on speed and they want to grab a team you know, by the leg and drag them into deep water fast and say, okay, we're going to swim over here. We're going to tread water over here. We're going to skate at this pace. This is where the game is going to be played. And what the Tampa Bay Lightning have essentially done when they've won games is... They've said, okay, we'll go there for a little while, a little while, but we're dragging you back more into the shallow end where it's a little bit slower. And that's where we can dine out. And pucks around the crease and rebounds and all of that, you know, the greasy goals we keep hearing about, that's where this team is shining. And that's the clash. The Toronto Bay Leafs want to play this thing fast. The Tampa Bay Lightning want to slow things down. And what you're seeing right now with the Rangers and the Devils is the Rangers are allowing the pace to be dictated by the New Jersey Devils. And if you give this Devils team a chance to skate, look out and good luck stopping them and good luck shutting them down. Uh, Thanks to Ryan Novozinski, Devils reporter for NJ.com, for stopping by. Uh, We'll hit pause. We'll get on the Toronto Maple Leafs page with um, a defenseman from the Team Canada's women's national team. uh, Someone who, and I'm not trying to wrap up her career, but one day when she's done playing hockey, well, A, she can probably do whatever she wants. And if she chooses to do media, the door is wide open. She is Erin Ambrose. Uh, She joins me here in a couple of moments as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.
0: The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network
1: get right to her she is a defender for team canada's women's national team she is aaron ambrose and she joins me now hello aaron how's your afternoon going My afternoon's a lot better now jeffrey merrick but don't let that get to your head oh wow. Uh, was it was that i know i have to widen the door frames to fit me in the door um How is, how was your, I know you're a big Maple Leafs fan, obviously you're a big observer of of hockey in general, Uh, and I do want to drill down on a couple of players, and I do want to ask you about players from your team that you either enjoy or don't enjoy watching games with, Um, but how was it this morning around Toronto? Did the, did the sun come up? I didn't check. Yeah,
4: the sun always comes up. I think that's something I'm actually learning is even after crummy losses that the sun still comes up and I wouldn't say that I take the Leafs as seriously as I do of my own hockey but um, like yeah. you said I am a big Leafs fan so I was hoping this was gonna be talking about a series victory today but we can wait until after game six <laughs> we can uh,
1: we we can pause on that one well how you know I'm just as you've, you know you've already taken us there how do you because well I'm always curious about athletes that you know sort of mature and how they mature through their careers um, when you first realized that this was gonna be more than something that was just fun for you to do, so much of this becomes mental, and dealing with emotions, and dealing with success, and learning how to manage your talent, and dealing with failure as well. How do you deal with it now, versus how did you deal with it previous?
4: Uh, we're going hard-hitting today. Um, for right me, away. I think a big thing, yeah, I think a big thing is accepting the emotions that you have, um, especially like after a loss, I think in game is something a little bit different and you need to kind of have that mm-hmm. um, short attention span. I think all Mark said in his quote, that you have to have the mind of a goldfish sometimes or the memory of a goldfish. And, yep. um, but after games, like I'm somebody who believes like you can embrace the emotions and feel the emotions and kind of do what you need to. And then once the next day starts, then that's when the, the page is kind of flipped onto the next chapter.
1: Yeah, how do you? Uh, I mean, in, in in a series like like the playoffs, like in, in a in a best of seven, as opposed to a, a winner takes all uh, in in one game, it's got to be so hard. I always think of players that go through this managing emotions, considering it is so much of a roller coaster. Like it's a roller coaster in round robin tournaments. It's a roller coaster in best of seven series. I want to drill down on Maple Leafs in a second here, but again, like how do you? Like, do you just allow yourself to get carried away, but only for a certain amount of time, or do you always try to catch yourself and ground yourself as as you're going through it?
4: Well, Jeff, to be honest, I'm kind of envious of the seven game series sometimes. Um, like yeah. I, the last time I played in a playoff series was in the CWHL in 2019, so it's been a long time since I've had that same matchup uh you you kind of know game in and game out you're going against the same players and that's a def- definitely a different mindset than like you said a, a round ro- round robin tournament um so i'm envious of the guys that they get to do it because i think that it there's so many different factors in a seven game series that kind of play in and um sure. as much as i'm going against my lease and saying this i think john cooper is Um, a master at it Um, he knows kind of how to pull strings for opposing players and it's incredible to watch because I think he just gets it he's been there he gets it he knows what his guys need and um, it's really cool to watch just to see him manipulate it and kind of play it has as he wants to and whatever hand he's dealt he kind of knows how to play a bluff and um, I guess stretch out his opposition as much as he can
1: yeah let, let me ask you about this series right now I don't know if you have this default maybe I'm making too much of an assumption um, but as a defender yourself when you're watching a game like you're watching you know the Maple Leafs last night facing off against Tampa are you most watching defenders or are you just watching where the puck is going are you watching are you watching goaltenders like as someone who plays at the highest level what are you watching Aaron when you're watching a game
4: I think a little bit of everything um I definitely have a little bit more of a focus on the D I think and how they play rushes I think that it's pretty cool to get to watch um somebody like Morgan Riley play because of how well he skates the game um but at the same time like because of how well he skates the game I'm not really watching to see a lot of things that I could do from his game because I don't skate as well as him um but I won't lie that uh, as soon as Justin Hall decided to pivot to his left to the middle of the ice instead of staying stick on puck on that one-on-one um, for Tampa's second goal, I was,
1: I was dropping some expletives on say. <laughs> how did you see yesterday's game? Because, you know, the Essamon goal, you know, that was, uh, that, that one had an, an odor to it. That's the, uh, the one where goaltenders say, like, that's the one that I'd, I'd like to have back. You mentioned Justin Hall. And I know that, you know, everyone's got the stats about how many, how many times he's been on the ice when the opposition has scored. And I know he's getting a roasting in Toronto media right now. But, like, how, what were your takeaways from, from last night's game, from, from both sides, from the Maple Leaf side, from the Tampa side as well?
4: i think starting with the tampa side jeff it's exactly what you would expect from a team that has had the success that they've had in the last couple years um they've been in those positions they understand how to win games and um i think anybody who doesn't think the lightning were sitting in their rooms after two overtime losses being like this could be three one the other way right now would be kidding themselves um And I think that that's exactly what they did. Tampa didn't have a lot to change. Like, they just had some little tweaks that, sure, having Hedman back again makes a huge difference compared to um, earlier in the series. But at the same time, like, you knew Vasilevsky was going to have a game. Um, And I don't know. Like, I I think that. where Toronto's at, obviously as a least fan, I love where they're at. But at the same time, like the fourth game is the hardest, and everybody says that. And, um, I definitely don't know, but it's the same thing as the third period. Like you can think a game's going one way for 40 minutes, and then the twentieth or the third period just kind of changes everything for a team in a, in a heartbeat. So the game of hockey is a very weird sport. They say that you have to be the luckiest, and that in
1: hockey compared to any other sports and um, i don't disagree with it whatsoever when you um the way that i've been framing it here for the past couple of games is the maple leafs want this to be a track meet and they're at their best when you know they're they're firing the puck around they're moving their feet everything is quick 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 up tempo up tempo up tempo where john cooper and the tampa bay lightning where i put it this way the maple leafs want to be the bullet that's where they want to play but the tampa bay lightning want to exist in that vacuum right behind the bullets that's kind of where tampa is the most comfortable and it seems as if like there's this this tug and there's this pull between what john cooper's trying to do and sheldon Keefe is trying to do Last night has was you know clearly advantage Tampa, and that they were able to slow the game down because when Toronto was able to turn it on, user speed their passing is just so fast. Um, and by the way, how many how many missed nets uh, did Toronto have in that first period specifically? They kept missing the net like crazy. To say nothing about goalposts, which was actually both sides. But do you break it down the same way? Like you look strategically and you say, you know what, the Maple Leafs want to play quick, quick, quick. Let's go to deep water. And the Tampa Bay Lightning is saying, hold on a second here. Why don't we just slow this thing down a little bit? Do you see it the same way?
4: Yeah, like I think exactly that. Like you have two different kind of game plans on either end. And um, sometimes it's just a battle of who's going to be able to execute that. But at the same time, I don't think Tampa's afraid to play run and gun. Um, do they have the depth as much to play that style no you look at their third line and it's probably more of a grind it low slow it down low to high kind of thing Um, but I think that where the Leafs have actually had the most success is exactly that when they've been able to use their speed off the rush but then they get the puck down low they move it low to high they go east to west they activate f3 and once you have the ability to do that it's drawing Tampa's coverage up and I think the biggest difference last night was that the Leafs weren't able to get those point shots through. Um, I think that's a credit to Tampa, but I also thought that the shot selection by the Leafs was a little bit um, questionable at times. They had been so successful in just kind of finding lanes and sifting pucks through, whereas last night I felt like they were trying to almost blast it through Tampa. and um, That, for me, was a big difference from the back end last night. And something that I know that You mentioned it, Dustin Hall's been getting a lot of heat, but for me, it's not necessarily the defensive side that is, like, it's obviously the issue right now, but to me, I think you have a Jake McCabe in the lineup, you have a TJ Brody, and you have a Mark Giordano, who are kind of three solid defensive guys. Um and Morgan Riley's really your only puck moving, puck skating defenseman, why not throw Timothy Lilligren in? I think Lilligren adds that dy- dynamic to the back end and also has that upside to be able to sift puck through from the blue line to create our offense from from the back end.
1: It, it, it that's a that's a really good point and you know, Elliot and I talked about that on the podcast that came out this morning because I, I think a lot of people wonder. Hold on a second here. Why aren't they bringing in someone that can move the puck uh, a, a lot quicker? Because that's the game that Toronto wants to play. And I almost want to say, Aaron, that that goes back to the trade deadline, because it seems as if after trade deadline, you know, Timothy Liljegren, who up until that point was looking, you know, a solid contributor to that back end, was having a really hard time getting in the lineup. But you look at how Toronto wants to play. It's almost as if you know that skill set. You know, w- winks a little, uh, w- winks more at how Toronto wants to do things. Why not bring them in? But then if you're Sheldon Keefe, you say, okay, that may work philosophically. And I think we all understand that. But when's the last time, Timothy Lill, you're going play the game? And we're looking to close out here. Like, I know it may seem counterintuitive, but I think that that goes into the thinking process. It's been a long time since Lilia Grin has played. I know everyone's playing, you know, uh, you know, whack the pinata with, with Justin Hall here. But is that maybe even too much of a risk at this time, considering, you know, this is high-stakes poker that the Toronto Maple Leafs are playing, looking to close out, fourth game's always the hardest, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is that just maybe too much of a of a risk for Sheldon Keith to take at this point?
4: Um, I think it's possible, yeah, I think like I mean, there's obviously a reason that they haven't made the change uh, It's yeah. not like Justin Hall just had a bad game last week, um uh, so there's a reason that they haven't made the switch um as somebody that I think i like to consider myself knowledgeable on the game. Like, do I agree with them not making the switch? No. But to your point, yeah, it's been a little while since Lilligren's been in the lineup. I think that's obviously a factor. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of people that get put in those situations throughout a playoff run. Um, I think Kyle Dubis went out and did exactly what he needed to do in having depth on the back end to talk about it all day long about how much of an importance it is to have depth throughout the playoffs. Okay, so now our depth might be needed. So whether it's game six, whether it's if there is a game seven, whether it's in the round second round, which is possible, like somebody's going to have to come into the lineup that hasn't played in a while. Um, and that's also where you have to just look at the professionalism of your team and you have to be ready when your number is called. Whether you're playing eight minutes a night or whether you're getting into more regular shifts. like that is what you are asked to do. Um, so I think when it comes down to performance space, and I would say that Justin Hall is not performing to where Justin Hall should be performing to, then to me that is that is time to switch things up.
1: The um Morgan Riley. Let, let, let me go there with you. Uh, you mentioned Morgan Riley earlier. And as a defender yourself, I'm sure you see things that I don't. I just watch the games. You play the games. You know the position. When you watch Morgan Riley, what stands out to you?
4: I, ooh, I touched on that already, but obviously the way he skates the game. Um, I think Morgan yeah. got a lot, a lot of heat throughout the season um, for his defensive uh, holes, I guess we can say, um, but mm-hmm. to me, that's what you've you've always known that that's not Morgan's mo. Like that is not what he's in the lineup for. He's not there to eat pucks every shift. He's not there to grind it out in the defensive zone. He's there to add to your offense and create more for your team offensively. And um, I mean, I I love that he's been able to score big goals. I that he's been able to actually contribute with points. And, but to me, it's not just that. It's He's commanding the ice. He's a presence on the ice. I think he's moving the puck a lot more assertively on the power play than he has been a, in the past in the sense of he understands he's not mm-hmm. really the trigger guy on the power play. But, okay, how can I distribute the puck to put people in a better position than, than I'm in right now? And I think that that's something that's just coming second nature to him right now. Um, they always say that confidence is a funny thing, and once you get that confidence, it makes a hell of a difference um, to your legs. Uh, makes you feel faster out there, and just things just start to go your way a lot, a lot easier.
1: It's funny, you know, when uh, we, we've heard this before about hockey players uh, and that confidence, I'm glad you said that because in some ways you think confidence goes right to your head. No, confidence when you're a hockey player goes right to your legs. Um, that is so true, Aaron Ambrose. Okay, so let me, uh, let, let me finish up with this one. One question, putting you on the spot, you're going to totally sell out one of your teammates in the process and big up another one. Who is your favorite and least favorite teammate to watch a hockey game with?
4: Uh, I'm picking Sarah Nurse all day long to go to a Leafs game with me. Um, okay, is that? Sarah understands that I am a very vocal Leafs fan in the sense, like, I'm not some, somebody yelling, shoot the puck at the rink, but um, I <laughs> think I call every Leafs name or Leafs player by their first name when they make a mistake or a bad play or a good play. Um, and then who would I not want to watch a game with? This is tough. Cause there's, there's a lot of people that just aren't Leaf fans. So I think they would enjoy watching disappointment for me, like with me. Um,
1: yeah. So who, who, who on the team, what loves watching the Maple Leaf squirm? Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Ooh.
4: Probably. Honestly, this is a, a, a sneaky pick, but I might go with Rebecca Johnson. Like Johnny always just kind of throws some little, yeah, some little daggers at me about the Leafs every so often. And um, I mean, I can throw some flames daggers at her right now, but um, it's funny (laughs) though. All my teammates just, whenever they have any question about the Leafs, they always come to me because they know that I know everything about the team, what way people shoot majority Uh, of their stats. So if anybody has any interest in the Leafs,
1: Um, they come to me for it. You're the go-to and you're one of my go-tos. You're fantastic. Listen, enjoy your weekend. Uh, Saturday's going to be fun. Uh, Game six, Tampa and the Toronto Maple Leafs as they look to close out again uh, against Tampa. I know you'll be tuned in. Aaron, thanks as always for stopping by.
4: Thank you, Jeff. Go Leafs, go.
1: There she is, uh, the great Aaron Ambrose, number 23, Team Canada, national team, all of it. Olympic gold medalist, world championship, gold medalist, silver medalist, all of it. Um, that's Ambrose. Um, don't forget, uh, tonight, more hockey for you. The Carolina Hurricanes look to close out against the Islanders, 7 o'clock on 360. The Bruins and the Panthers at 7.30, the Stars and the Wild. Oh, man, I love that series. And how good has Jake Ottinger been? And then the Colorado Avalanche look to stave off elimination at the hands of, check's notes, the second-year team the Seattle Kraken who are such a story uh, in these playoffs. Very much looking forward to that one. Uh, thanks to everyone who tried to make this show better. Uh, Tristan Marcajani, Lance Kennedy, Frank Barazka and all of our guests. Elliot Friedman, Ken Weeb, Ryan Nowazinski, and you just heard from Aaron Ambrose. Back Monday afternoon 12 o'clock Eastern, 9 Pacific. More of the Merrick Show. Games tonight, games tomorrow, games Sunday and no shortage of headlines. A great time to be a hockey fan, isn't it? Enjoy it. We'll be back on Monday.